Good morning, everyone. Please, can I ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Genesis chapter 3. We'll be reading the first six verses. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Genesis chapter 3. As you're finding your way to the passage, when Luke got up after the first song and said, I'd like us to do something weird, in my mind I said, no, Luke, please no. Luke is South African. I am British. Being told we're going to do something weird, I don't like very much. And then Luke proceeded to prophesy the essence of this word this morning. And it dawned on me that God cares more about speaking to our hearts than he does me feeling comfortable throughout every moment of worship and when we gather together. And so a very humbling moment for me. And I think I would just say that. I would just say for many of you, you probably were a bit uncomfortable in that moment. But I do believe God was speaking through that moment. And then what came in the the other prophetic words just totally aligned with what I believe the Lord has put on my heart today from this passage of Scripture. Which means that you and I have the privilege today of the living God speaking to us. Speaking to us. He's a God who speaks. He knows our hearts. He knows what we need to hear. His word and his power transcends middle-class British culture. Hallelujah. (laughs) He's not worrying about conforming to my idea of what makes a good and comfortable service. And I have to just get with that and, and be okay with it. And I hope you are too. So, so let's read from Genesis 3, verses 1 to 6. The title of today's sermon is A Despicable Deception. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And we'll finish there. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the conversation I had before the start of this service with Dave Stainer about how seed is scattered upon the fields, how rooks and crows come and take some, how the majority of it is sown and brings forth the harvest. Some to the rook, some to the crow, some die, some grow. I ask for each of us today, let the seed fall onto rich soil and we pray against the schemes of the evil one who would want to 
take it. He would want to lead us only towards death and destruction. You are here that we might have life and have it in abundance. So Holy Spirit, take these words, sow them into our hearts that we might glorify Jesus together. Amen. We're going to be looking at how it was Satan deceived humanity right at the very beginning. And as we look at this passage, we are seeing a pattern, and a pattern that is repeated to us every day, every hour. It is a pattern that results in the same outcome of death, of sin, of rejection of God. We've said it before, what's the chief end of man? chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is it that you long for most in your life? Is it not to be loved and to love, to be happy, to be peaceful, to fend off sickness, to fend off disease, to keep death at bay for as long as possible? Is there a way in which these things can be fully overcome? Is there a way in which I can fully experience all the desires of my heart met and satisfied is it possible we have remembrance Sunday because many people died in tragedy and suffering and pain and still do today you can't have those two minutes of silence without feeling the sober impact of all that's gone before and tragically what's still happening today but we are gathered here because we have hope and confidence in a victory that Jesus Christ has won, which will result one day in all sickness, pain, suffering, all malice, all hate, all wars, all battles, all famines, all diseases, all viruses and sicknesses ending forever. The job of the preacher is to tell you about this good news to tell you about it, not only to tell you about it, but to invite you to receive into your hearts this victory today, that you might know God, that you might know forgiveness from sins, that you might be led out of shame. It says right at the end of chapter 2, they were naked and knew no shame. Can you imagine that? Not just being physically naked, but being as it my mind, my heart, my thoughts, everything exposed, everyone knowing everything about me and having no shame. That's what they knew. And this is how it all changed. We're going to do um, what we call an exegesis, which is we're going to look at the, the words and the verses and we're going to seek to see the intent, the meaning behind them and the power that is there. So the first thing we look at in verse 1, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Perhaps the first question that many would have is, who is this serpent? Maybe the bigger existential question of evil and sin, where does it come from? How did it start? How did this made perfect angel become so wicked and so evil and so corrupt. Why did God let that happen? I'm sure you've all wondered about that. 
Here's my answer to that question. Why did it all happen? I don't know. We're not given those answers as we would like them. And you can go down the rabbit warren of trying to find meaning in it and trying to philosophize about it, try and deal with this theodicy, this idea of a good God creating this perfect world and yet evil comes. And where does it come from? You don't need to know the answer to that question. But you need to know what's revealed here. What's written here has to do with how evil began in your heart and mine. Now, if we read these verses in that light, if we read them asking the question, what does this say about my heart? What does this have to say about humanity? What does this have to say about the world? What does this have to say about the pain and the misery that exists? If we read it as it's intended to for that kind of instruction, then the words here are valuable for eternity, eternally valuable. So I would just appeal to you today, and I know it's not very satisfying, but to set aside the questions that aren't answered and to deal with the ones which are. We don't get everything that we would want. We get everything that we need. So the first thing that he says is, did God really say, you can't eat any tree in the garden? What did God say? Look at chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded them, you are free to to eat from any tree in the garden. Any tree, with one exception. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. I want you to keep verse 16 of chapter 2 in your mind as we go through this passage. Because this this is the word that God spoke to Adam, This was the clear instruction that was given. You can eat from any tree. What does Satan say? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? What's he doing? What's he doing? He is, he is, you know Satan's a theologian. A very bad one. But he's a theologian. He loves to teach people about God. He has an agenda, a theological agenda, to to frame God in a particular light. In what light is he attempting to frame God right now? As a miser, as stingy, as tight, lacking generosity. Did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? This, This paradise full of Beautiful trees and fruits and, and rivers that sparkle and skies that shone with animals and creatures everywhere living in perfect harmony. Where did it all come from? It came from the abundantly generous, good, kind, extravagant creator. It all came from him. He is the one who is utterly generous, utterly good displaying his generosity and his goodness and his creation. It's there. And he says, he didn't give you any tree to eat. Have you known something of that deception? What good is there in your life? What's God done for you? Look at your 
Look at the challenges you're facing right now. Look at the problems you've got. Look at the pain that you're dealing with. Look at the disappointments of your life. Look at your lack of friends. Look at your lack of children. Look at your lack of a partner. Look at your bank balance. You think God's good? Oh, this is a very common deception. Did God say you can't eat from any tree? This is how she responds. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Do you think Eve's response is a good one? Let me just ask you. When I preach a series of rhetorical questions, I'm not actually requiring you to speak out. I think you get that by now. So, is it a good one? If, is Eve's response a good one? Now, just wind back 30 seconds to my loudness. <laughs> she said, her response was, no, we can eat from the trees in the garden. What she didn't do was, what are you talking about? We can eat from any of these trees. Any of them. It's amazing. That one tastes so good. It was, her response is a diluted kind of, we can eat the trees. So already it's, it seems like something of the deception has already taken hold of her. Seems like it. Then not only that, but she says, um, but the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not, hang on, I'm just going to stop. God said. The serpent says, did God? Do you notice, if you were in the sermon a few weeks ago that I preached, I spoke about the significance of the Lord God. Suddenly, the Lord God name is gone. And we're back to Elohim, just God. Not the Lord God, which speaks of his redemptive, caring, saving, graciousness. This is the, so Satan never refers to him as the Lord God. Just God. And then Eve is doing the same thing. God said, you must not eat it or touch it. Look at chapter 2, verse 16 again. Where was the prohibition not to touch it? Let's have a look. Verse 17 as well. It's not there. Where's that come from? Where's that come from? Where's this come from? Not touching it. Yeah, we can't eat, eat it, can't even touch it. Like if I, if I stacked it, having a little skip around the garden and, and touch the tree, I'd die. That's nonsense. That's not true. That's not there. What's happening here? It's, it's a bit like, it's just, now this isn't in my notes. This is just, so I might get this wrong. It's a little bit like this. If I said to one of my children, um, Okay, I don't want you to touch the sweets until, have any sweets until later. And then my the kids go off and say, Dad says we can never have any sweets. Well, that wasn't what I said. I just wait until later. Can't have any sweets. It's a kind of, this is just so wrong. This is so bad. It's like the sense of this isn't right. I think this is what Eve is doing here. 
she doesn't respond with accurately quoting the word of God. How important is it to you that the Bible is accurately taught? When you quote scripture, how important is it that you accurately quote scripture? How different might it now? Here's the question where's Adam in all this? We know he's there because she gives it to Adam. Where's Adam? As he is deceiving, as he is mocking the word of God, where is Adam? He stood there just listening. Who who was given the command in the first place by God? Eve or Adam? It was Adam. And so the snake, the serpent comes along, starts undermining God's word, starts mocking it, starts lying. You will not die. Where was Adam? Why didn't he at that moment come along Stamp it on the head. Luke would have loved that. Why didn't he stamp it on the head? This is an evil, wicked presence here. We must deal with this. He's he's, he's there as this is happening. The battle for the mind. God's word is mocked. God's word is undermined. God's word is dismantled. The mind goes. Truth is gone. The evil one has sown lies and deception. Truth is gone. Suddenly their hearts are exposed. The moment the word of God ceases to be preached and taught in this church is the moment you find another church, you find a healthy one. I will say that again. The moment the Bible, the word of God, is no longer taught and read and spoken in this church, please leave it and find another church. Because the first thing that Satan wants to do is to get this book and throw it out. But he's not that. He's far more subtle than that. He will impress upon church leaders what you really need to spend all the time teaching your people about is just speak about worldviews, just speak about lifestyles, just speak about topics, speak about themes. You don't need to go to the Bible. People don't need to see a Bible. Just use your app. I'm not mocking apps. I use apps. But it's subtle. And before you realize it, it's gone altogether. When I was a pastor in Portsmouth, I was looking for uh, an evening service venue. We didn't have our own building. And I went to a church around the corner, a beautiful big church in the middle of the city. And I spoke to the vicar. And uh, I said, I'd love to use your, your building for an evening service for, for our people, if that's possible. He said, okay, well, just tell me, what is it you're planning on doing? I said, oh, simple. We're just going to worship and I'll just teach the Bible. And he said, literally, this is what he said to me, interesting. It's been a long time since the Bible was taught in this building. Seriously. Not a church. Not a church. Not a real church. Fake church. Fake. Not got the words of life. What's happened? The evil one, over a period of probably decades undermining it you don't need the word of God what happens when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness Matthew 4 verses 3 to 4 
Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what he did. Stamped on it. That's a lie. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to give you the word of God. I'm going to give you truth. And he quotes accurately, precisely, clearly. He dismantles the lie. In your fight against sin and mine, the first battle is here. It's the first battle for truth. What do I believe? Who do I believe? What, 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 what route's going to take me to happiness and joy? And peace? This is what I want. I want to be there. How do I get there? The evil one will say, um, go online and watch some porn. The evil one will say, just keep drinking. That will make you feel better. The evil one will give you all kinds of things to take you there. Who do you believe in that moment? Yeah, I believe that's right. I believe that's going to be good for me. That's what I need to do. Our responsibility in that moment is to fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, like Jesus did. I refuse this lie. I will not allow this deception. The battle for the mind. And then the blatant lie. He says, you will not die. That's a lie which has been retold and retold and retold. And it's a lie even that you'll hear preachers saying, oh, there's no death in hell. That's not true. It's the, you hear that lie repeated. Oh, you will not die. Threefold death. Physical. Firstly, spiritual. Then physical. Then eternal. We see these three forms of death in the scriptures. All of them are a consequence of what happens here. So we will all die. We know we will physically die. But the Bible is clear and Jesus is resolutely clear. You will then stand before the judgment seat. Life for those who have believed in Jesus. Death for those who haven't. That's not a very pleasant or nice word to hear. And for that reason, many haven't spoken it or said it. Hell is one of the first things which will get dismissed. Will be one of the first things that goes when the Bible is got rid of. This is what the evil one does. You will not die. Having dislodged the mind, he then goes for the heart. The desire of sin. Verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. That it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took and she ate it. Her heart went. The mind, battle lost. Heart vulnerable. Sin drops into her heart. And suddenly, the desires have changed. 
Her desires have changed. Her desire had only been to enjoy God and to enjoy his creation, to be with him. And now the desire has changed. The affections have changed. And she takes and she eats it. She took it and she ate. That was the deed. But the desire came before it. Moralism and religion will focus upon changing behaviors, will focus upon deeds, upon not doing the stuff. Jesus said, if you look upon a woman lustfully, you commit adultery with her. Where? In your heart. The gospel doesn't come. We don't exist as a church. Christianity doesn't exist just to change behaviors. We are here today to say to you, your reason for existing is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You're made to love God, to really enjoy God, to really enjoy knowing him. That's what you're made for. You're not made just to have a successful career. You're not made just to get a great house. You're not made just to get a brilliant CV. You're made to have the privilege of knowing and enjoying and delighting in God forever. That's why you exist. And Satan knows that. And so we'll try and deceive you and tempt you into things which will draw you away from knowing God. And away from his word. And away from his church. But Jesus wants to change your desires. So that when we become a Christian, we're told we are born again. We receive a new heart. We receive new desires. We receive new affections. No longer is my desire against God, but for God. I can't do that in my own strength. And my flesh remains very fallen. But my spirit's alive to God. And I know the best thing I could do is glorify him by enjoying him. John Piper famously put it like this. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What does God want from you? It's not just stop doing this and stop doing that. It's he wants your heart. Eve lost her heart. She lost her mind first. She then lost her heart first. And Adam, the whole while disobeying God, was there. I'm going to have to wrap up because I'm going to need to go to, another, to the other side. But I'm not going to rush off because I feel like we need to finish this properly. But I would just say this. Why is the cross so central and vital? Why do we take the bread and the wine Those verbs, take and eat, spoken by Satan, led to death. The same verbs spoken by Jesus, take and eat, lead to everlasting life. My body broken for you, my blood shed for you. Take and eat. This is so much more profound than simply changing your behavior you have to, your, in the same way that sin went into my soul and changed me, there is something that, I, that must happen into my soul. I've got to eat another meal. I've got to eat a different food. Jesus said, don't hunger for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts. What is that food? And he told the crowd, and they found it shocking. John 6, verses 50 to 51. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that anyone may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Hallelujah. You need to go to the cross. I do. My soul must be fed by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. You need to have a meal. You need to eat from the fruit of the tree of life. What is that tree? It's the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Christ. And it cleanses and washes and purifies us. Why don't we stand and I'll invite the band to come. What can wash away my sin? What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's just focus our eyes. The Lord is speaking to us today. And there is an enemy that would want to distract us. Would want me to have preached just for 10 minutes. I knew I had a word that I believe God wanted us to hear today. That that you need to hear today. So let's be open right now as the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us and preparing our hearts. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Jesus Christ on the cross crushed the serpent's head once and for all. Stamped upon him. Stamped upon the liar, the accuser, the deceiver of the brothers. Thank you, he's defeated. And Lord, we live as those who are in the victory of Jesus Christ. We feed upon you, Lord Jesus, in that profoundly mysterious spiritual reality. Feed us, nourish us, strengthen us, that we might enjoy you and glorify you forever. Whoever's here today and hasn't yet fully known that, Lord, would you speak to their hearts and would you help them today to know the freedom that comes from faith in Jesus. We're going to respond by singing and celebrating. He's our king. He's our victor. Let's let's really celebrate today. His victory won. Let's celebrate the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.